Welcome once again to the So Weird Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Kat. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Melissa. And tonight we are talking about Eddie's Desk, which is episode four of season three. What's our mystery of the week? Uh, doppelgangers, which are sort of ghosts. Kind of, yeah. It starts out as basically a ghost episode and then reveals itself to be something a little different. We're still in Hope Springs. We're still going to high school here. Annie goes to a new class, is told to sit in her seat. There's no available desk. She goes into the weird, creepy, vaguely Nightmare on Elm Street-like boiler room, finds a creepy, spooky old desk. Ooh, there's a ghost in it. She runs out. There's a mystery involved. Weird things are going around around the school. It's all connected to our grouchy janitor named Bud. And that is our synopsis for Eddie's desk. What's her general thoughts on this one? Can I just preface this by saying that as we're talking about how we're going to do the So Weird podcast for season three, we all want to do a fair and balanced review of this show. So we agreed to sign up for the episodes that we remembered vividly. Hmm. And I had really positive memories of Eddie's desk, so that's why I signed up for it. But re-watching it, I was surprised to find that it did not live up to my nostalgic memories. Hmm. Well, uh, I really wanted to talk about this one because... I've kind of two thoughts about this one. It's the first Annie episode that I don't completely dislike. I think it's a little better than the previous three episodes, but by the same accord, I think it's emblematic of so many of the problems I have with season three. What type of problems do you have with it? Well, (laughs) (laughs) he will tell you. (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean it, it's just I find the whole episode to be very very corny I greatly dislike the high school setting I think So Weird is a traveling show and it needs to be on the road and when you take away that element you make the show less like itself and I can't help but feel like this decision to set the first four episodes or at least the first three episodes um, following the premiere in the high school was very much an edict from on high from Disney corporate saying we need to make this series more appealing commercially. We need to make it more appealing to our teenage demographic. So we have to have a bunch of high school episodes. And as I said, I feel like that is anti-ethical to the spirit of the entire series. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I found myself thinking like how many things can happen paranormal in one high school? Well, I mean, it's not, so much that it's just that there are a lot of other shows that have done that same thing. I mean, Buffy was airing around the same time. Um, Kat has talked a lot about, well, what is it? The Blake Heisley High? Blake Holsey High. Yeah, that's another Supernatural-themed high school set show. There were a bunch of them. And it yeah. focusing on that, I think, takes away what makes So Weird special in the first place. Yeah, and also, like, the famous Jet Jackson, even Stevens, Lizzie McGuire, The Jersey, all of those were in a high school, even like a, in a heartbeat, they were all kind of high school based. As yeah, well. exactly. So that's an issue. And I find all of the, well, first off, I don't really connect the thread. I feel like there's a lot of weird plot holes with this episode that just bug me a little bit. Um, throughout the episode, we find out that, should we go ahead and spoil the big reveal in the last act, which you can see coming a mile away? Hmm. <laughs> well, let's take it like scene by scene first. Okay, all right. Well, Before we get too far. 
Okay, well, then you guys go. <laughs> All right, so for this intro, this episode is set as different from the others right from the start. Because this episode doesn't begin with a voiceover, but instead we have a scene of Annie running into a new class. She's late and embarrassed to find there's not a new desk for her. The voiceover we do get while she's in the storage room looking at the ghost and then running away is very, very short, like only one sentence. So right away, that strikes out to me as this is not your average episode is so weird. I noticed the teacher, Mrs. James, uh, I kind of recognized her. And she, did you guys see the movie Juno? Oh, of course. Yeah. Do you remember Gertha Rouse? That, that, that's her. Um, her oh. name is uh, Eileen Petty. Yeah, so thought that was a cool connection. She's in Juno. Oh, well, that was a Canadian-produced film, so it was yeah. probably shot in uh, Vancouver, or part of it anyway. Yeah. And she also said that she was switching from composition class, and I was thinking, oh, is she trying to get out of writing that Chad paper? I don't know if that was <laughs> composition class, but I kind of noticed that she's switching classes there. Yeah, I think that Chad was for history or something, so... Uh, yeah, but that opening is just weird. Uh, and not in like a so weird sort of way. It's it's weird in a wow. This doesn't feel completely normal to me somehow. <laughs> right, like yeah. the writing is significantly different in this episode. Yeah, I noticed the books that the teacher said they were going to be reading. The first book they were reading was Old Man in the Sea, and then the second book they were going to be reading was Brave New World. Now, Old Man in the Sea is by Ernest Hemingway. It was written in 1952. And then Brave New World is a book by Aldous Huxley that was written in 1932. But the plots of those books are very similar to this, the plot of this episode. Really? Well, yeah. How? Okay, Old Man in the Sea I can sort of get, but um, the Brave New World connection I'm not catching on. I, and the, I had to read like really in depth about it, but it was kind of like a savage story um, about a man named Bernard, and he is the quote-unquote custodian of a man okay. named John, and he's kind of treated as a celebrity, but he really scorns attention, and like later in his life, he like moves to an abandoned hilltop tower, and he ends up like trying to get away from like civilization, but then he sees a woman, and he both loathes her and loves her and he attacks her but then he feels terrible about it it was just kind of like a similar i don't know kind of how bud was treating annie i could see like the correspondences of it but i thought it was interesting that old man in the sea was written in 1952 and that's also the year that bud had dropped out of high school hmm. Hmm. i feel like that's kind of overreaching those are pretty standard books for any high school curriculum <laughs> I never read them in high school. I had to look them up. Uh, I didn't read either of those in high school. Um, I had to read them in college by myself on my own. <laughs> and, so... and Old Man in the Sea, um, you know, that's a story of a man, an aging man who is an experienced fisherman, but he's actually very, very unlucky. And by the end of the book, he ends up, it takes him 85 days to finally catch one fish but the fish he ends up catching is a marlin, and it's 18 feet long. But at the end of the book, they end up having to tell him how sorry they are for making fun of him in the village and talking all this crap about him. Um, so I thought that was kind of corresponding as well to the plot of this story, that Bud had been there so long and still hated all the kids, but then he gets that retribution at the end. 
Yeah, that definitely, I think there's probably something to that. I mean, I think the fact that they mention those two books specifically was intentional on the writer's behalf. I would think yeah. it would have to be. And Tom J. Asso is one of the creators from the beginning, and he actually came on as a writer for this show, which is why I think it has a little more substance to it, because John Mandel is not a very good writer, in my opinion. But um, yeah, I think it's because Tom J. Astle came back for this episode is why there's all these connections and we get to see some of the, um, you know, things from a couple other seasons back. Something I was saying earlier, uh, I feel like there are, you know, does anybody else agree with me that there are some sort of weird plot gaps in this one? Because there's no explanation for why Eddie's doppelganger um, begins to perform these sort of poltergeist activities throughout this episode like it did Annie going down into the basement and touching his desk reawaken his spirit or something because throughout this we see bullies in the school being humiliated and in really kind of corny ways I mean it th this is it just it feels so much like a so weird season three thing these giant globs of cartoon gum leaking out of a, a locker and sticking to this mean girl's backpack or the bully getting uh pelt it with blue jello mysterious blue jello i've never seen jello that vividly blue in my life before and it, it's it really kind of feels like the show is almost doing an overhanded heavy-handed anti-bullying message does anybody else feel that way too yeah and i, I agree and also i just want to say that this episode's portrayal of bullying which is rampant in media where it is so overtly obvious, I feel like it left me wholly unprepared to deal with what bullying looks like in real life. <laughs> wow. Judy Bloom didn't prepare you for that one, huh? Um, no. Yeah, no, I mean, it is. It is sort of ridiculous and overblown in a way that, you know, bullying is a lot more, usually, I should say, more insidious than that in real life. You don't have somebody in the middle of the room declaring, you know, throwing fish sticks at somebody. It usually doesn't really work that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. I did connect that both of the bullying scenes where the ghost does come into play, they were both for the same exact character, Brandon Adams, the kid who had pimples and the kid who was getting picked on in the cafeteria. Um, so maybe that could have like woken up the doppelganger or maybe of course it was Annie, you know, maybe the her wearing these ring and then touching the desk could have like just allowed her to be able to see the ghost because uh, obviously she's the only one who can see the ghost. I feel like it has to be Annie because at the end of this episode, uh, one of her friends says, oh, we're gonna miss you so much. We've gotten used to all the excitement. It makes These friends like we've never seen before. <laughs> no, they came up in talking board. Oh, yeah. did they? Oh, okay, yeah. okay, excuse me. And it seems like all the weird stuff only happened when Annie came here, and that's building off the idea that they presented in Lightning Rod that Annie is just a magnet for the weird. Mm -hmm. And I really hate this premise, and I feel like it's just poor writing. Because at the beginning of this episode, we have Jack talking to Annie about how, oh, first you want to fit in, now you're talking about ghosts. Earlier, we've heard Ernie, Annie rather say, oh, but I don't want them to think I'm a weirdo. And he's obsessed with fitting in. And it really infuriates me that in this episode, later on, when she's having this conversation with Molly, and Molly's so concerned about her, she says, like, oh, I know you're worried about me. I know you think I'm acting weird. But I don't want to fit in. I've always been the new kid. I don't think I'd ever be happy being part of the crowd. When it's like, 
this is exactly what makes you happy, Annie. Like, why are you lying to Molly and to us? <laughs> Maybe it's just something she realized in this episode. Well, and I also... Maybe Annie's just a Mary Sue. <laughs> and I also hate how little Molly has to do, like... I think this is a problem that experience in a lot of season three episodes. Um, it feels like a lot of the regular cast members are sidelined to a degree. Like Molly basically has one scene here. Ned has, is on screen for about two seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Irene and it, got one line. <laughs> yeah, no, it's this very small role for the traditional. So weird crew. And I almost feel like I really kind of wonder if Disney was hoping to redirect the show entirely around the high school setting and i don't know i don't know what the ratings were like throughout season three i don't know if there was any if this was a deliberate decision on the creative crew or what but it does kind of feel like they're trying to redirect the show from the tour bus to the high school setting and it bugs me Well, definitely they were in john cooksey's faq he even said that disney wanted to take the show in another direction and that they wanted the kids to stay at school and have more of a normal life Yeah, they wanted it to be a more traditional Disney Channel show. Yeah. And the one, I think, good thing about this show, or probably the best thing about this episode in particular, is that we have the return of Clue. Yeah, it's definitely agreed. I agree with that. I really love the back loop romances in this episode. (laughs) They're romance. And I also going, like, with Annie being a magnet, she made a comment, you know, when she takes Bud to, you know, the assembly... She makes a comment. He says, how did you know I was Eddie? But she says she had a feeling and she didn't know what it was. So I don't know if that has something to do with her magnet or being a magnet for the weird. That was interesting to me. That jumped out at me too. The quote that I noted down was, I know what it's like to be an outsider. I could feel something. I just didn't know what. And this line sticks out to me as one of the reasons why it was so easy for me to love Annie as a child but hate her as an adult. <laughs> because we really wanted there to be secret meanings in everything, for life to truly be magical with these elements of fantasy hinted in reality, that life could be fun if you just knew where to look. But adult yeah. me knows that that is all bullshit and demands a proper explanation and you can only <laughs> interpret this line as poor writing. Yeah, it, it, it feels like a, an ass pull. It 100% does. I thought it was cool we got to see the car again from Drive, which kind of had a, a you know a haunting story. Sim- maybe it was a haunting story. We don't know if it was a ghost, like you guys said in the last episode of that, or the podcast episode of that episode, um, or was it the machine itself, you know, that was making? But I thought it was cool we got to see that 1967 Mustang. I think it was. Yeah, I love the reappearance of the car, and this episode does do a few different throwbacks to seasons one and two where Clue first talks to Annie about seeing ghosts, or Jack tells Clue that Annie's seeing ghosts, and his reply is, oh, cool, doing the fee thing. Yeah. And it feels like a half-hearted attempt to throw back to seasons one and two, but I can't help but feel, no, she's not doing the fee thing, because fee wouldn't run away. (laughs) Well, and fee (laughs) does have a cameo, sort of, in this episode of sorts, via email. Rocker baby, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. she, she does kind of appear... And then and, I really love how Clue is with Annie in that scene, and he's so insistent. Tell Fee I say hi. Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right. He's so eager to hear from her, and this is why I ship Fee and Clue. 
yeah, I was thinking that's a total uh, that's a total shipper moment there. And though the, if the clue any shippers exist, I'm, I guess they must. Um, there's pr- plenty of grist for that audience in this episode as well. Yeah, any yeah. a lot of screen time together, and I do love that clue comes back from college. You know, he's been at college a few months, and now suddenly he knows all about philosophy, and he's pretending to be really, really deep. And it almost comes off as if he's trying to impress Annie or maybe just everybody. Uh, It's very funny. Yeah, I really like Philosopher Clue. I think this is one of the things about season three writing that I do still really appreciate. And also I have this headcanon that Clue definitely smokes pot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, same here. He's totally a Disney-fied stoner. And so, and philosophy is just like the perfect major for that type of character. So it's fitting, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I really opinion? feel like that was uh, implied. He's always been kind of a surfer dude, anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and also speaking of shipping moments, when we have the mug scene where Clue and Annie are sitting on the couches with like hot chocolate or something the look on Annie's face as she's staring at Clue as he gives his little philosopher speech. She <laughs> looks so enamored with him. That would have been the look on my face if I was sitting across from him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I wonder, is it because she's, you know, genuinely uh, impressed by what he's, the pseudo-philosophical nonsense he's saying, or is it just because, hey, she's a teenage girl, he's a cute boy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he did have a crush on her in Lightning Rod, right? Remember he wanted her to go bike riding in Lightning Rod? He was, like, trying to flirt with her a little bit in that episode, and she thought he was kind of a jackass. Well, not to mention Eric Von Dutton himself was a teen heartthrob at this time. Yeah. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Alex to actually be crushing on him in this moment. And his hair is completely different. I, I kind of feel like, what was the name of that um, one season wonder he was on in between seasons two and three, Man in the House or some such thing? Where he like took oh, his yeah. shirt off. Yeah, no, it just it feels like he, he left the set of that show and came over to So Weird in like the same wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know. Same haircut, yeah. Yeah. I like the way he uh, answers Jack when Jack says, like, so, how are your studies doing? And Clue says that he could give his subjected view on it, but he fears that Jack is more interested in the objective societal standard, which he believes does not tell the whole story. And Jack <laughs> says, so, like a C average, right? That, that really is funny. the moment that makes me feel like Clue was high as fuck. <laughs> Yeah. Him and Carrie were blazing in the car like before they went to pick them up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and for me, the clue stuff is really what makes this episode watchable because I have zero investment in the mystery of the week. No interest in it. Uh, Yeah, on another level, when we had that scene with Clue and Annie reading the text from Fee, the way Clue's voice is reading Fee's text, it almost sounds like Eric Von Dutton is trolling us, (laughs) making fun of the lines. Like, just the tone of voice. Something sounds off like he's playing it or something. No, not impossible. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I do like that scene, though, where they're chatting with... uh... Fiona. I like that moment. That's probably my favorite scene in the whole episode, I think. Yeah, I also really love the comic relief scene. Well, I feel like season three is mostly comic relief. Yeah. I pre- especially appreciate the scene with Clue and the secretary, Mrs. Mansfield, where Clue does this little experiment in getting the secretary to do research for him. 
I feel like that is Carrie Bell level slacking to get somebody else to do your work for you. And I really love Mrs. Mansfield's lines with no more horseplay, run off to college now. Like, why are you here? Yeah. Yeah, what about the whole meth incident? What did he do to cause uh, half a dozen fire trucks to show up at the school? <laughs> Make crop brownies, maybe? Well, uh, you know, that that's the spaghetti incident. We'll just never know. Um, but uh, Honestly, it's not completely unbelievable, considering I had my own incident in chemistry that began with chemicals and ended up with the building being evacuated. So me and Luke oh, can be one and the same there. Well, yeah, but that was a chemical class. This was whole mech. What, what can, I mean, I just feel like you had to have caught, you know, lit something on fire by accident. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, something else that jumped out at me was Mrs. Mansfield's referring to him as Cluitz Bell. Yes. Is this the first time he's been referred to as that name? I feel like we probably have heard Cluitz. Like, I think maybe Irene has called him Cluitz before, like, maybe yelling at him or something. I feel like we've heard it before. I don't think so. No? I don't remember that, and I remember almost everything that's ever happened and so weird, so... <laughs> yeah, me too, and I feel like this is the first time we're hearing him being called Cluet. so is that his real name? Yeah. Canon from John Cooksey, or is yeah. that something that season three writers just made up? Uh, we'll have to ask John. He can answer that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes more sense. I don't think that Ned and Irene named him Clue. I think that's probably, like, just a take on his actual name, Cluet. Well, more importantly, is the name Cluet, like, an actual human name? Because I don't believe I've ever encountered anybody called that before outside of the context of this show. Good question. <laughs> uh, I'm about to look that up right now. Go ahead, Melissa. I was starting to, too. But yeah, I enjoyed that scene, too. And the whole interplay with the secretary is a lot of fun. That got a couple of okay chuckles from me. One thing I notice is he makes mention of a specific conundrum. He calls it Dinglemeyer's conundrum about a yeah. person not existing. But yeah, that sounds find... made up. Is that real? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't find anything on Dinglemeyer's conundrum. The so weird writers pulling our legs. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he yeah. made it up. Like maybe he made it up that moment to like come up with his story that he was doing a college project and maybe she should start typing in this name like now. Yeah, that, that sounds like a clue move that he would make up a philosopher conundrum right off the top of his head. Yeah, that, that seems in character. Yeah. A any well, any uh, any um, information on Cluet, Melissa? How do you spell Cluet for one? It's gotta be like C-O-E-L-U-E-T-T. Okay. Wikipedia is telling me Cluet is a surname of English origin, so it seems to be there have been a couple of notable Cluets with that as a last name. Huh. But I'm not seeing any Cluets as a first name, but I guess it's not totally in outside of the realm of possibility. I tweeted yeah. John Cooksey, so let's see what he says. <laughs> Just straight to the source. Not showing up on babynames.com either, so... They made it up. Made up yeah. so many things for this episode. Now, uh, <laughs> um, so I guess we should like talk more about the mystery. I mean, what do we generally? What's our general opinion on that? I mean, I've already said I think it's pretty corny. I think the execution is pretty cheesy. What does everybody else think? Uh, well, whenever I think of doppelgangers, I think of a lookalike, like an evil twin of sorts, like in Vampire Diaries. So this is the first time I saw it. Is uh, 
being a part of a living person's soul. So watching this episode, I didn't really like it until I did some research. And according to Wikipedia, doppelganger is a look-like or double of a living person, sometimes portrayed as a ghostly or paranormal phenomena that's usually seen as a harbinger of a bad luck. So that kind of made me like it a little bit more. Mm, interesting. And wasn't there an original third season episode about a doppelganger, or am I remembering that wrong? Like, didn't they have some notes that maybe doppelganger would be the subject of in one of the original season three episodes? Oh, uh, that sounds vaguely familiar. Do we do we have any uh, research on that, Kat? <laughs> um, I need to pull up my notes. You're the keeper of the so weird lore. Yeah. <laughs> but going back to my initial thoughts on this premise... I remember as a child, I really loved this episode, and I have memories of watching that scene with Annie down in school storage room, where the ghost is like haunting her, trapping her on the desk, and taunting her with na 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 na. It creeped me out so much as a kid, but watching it now, it's so cheesy. Yeah, it's corny as shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> And that high-pitched whistle that kept happening in the episodes, like this really high pitch. It almost sounds like a scream, and then it turns into a whistle. Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is handled. It just reeks of, like, cheesy kind of horror cliches to me. I mean, uh, attempting to do traditional horror movie cliches, but in, like, a family-friendly minute. And, um, I mean, the ominous warnings appearing on the desks themselves... It, it's bad, man. It's bad. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said, the way the mystery is resolved, it really kind of feels a little, well, it feels a lot unearned to me because it does sort of seem like, like, oh, well, the half an hour is up, so let's wrap this up and just have everybody figure out everything immediately within a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's a problem the show's always sort of had and I feel like would be exacerbated throughout season three. Like, how did a teenage girl get a grown man his high school diploma in the matter of one night and day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there are a lot of elements of poor writing in this episode. Like they're like, and to start go. off, the whole phenomenon of the doppelganger wasn't properly explored, and it left me with more questions than answers. And it really bothers me that it feels almost like a rehash of the season two episode Fall, where you had the ghost boy... And then mm. the journalist adults. Mm. I feel like this was supposed to be the explanation for that episode, but it got warped. The ghost definitely looked very similar to that boy from Fall. Yeah, and I just looked through the season three list of episode notes, and I don't see anything in here about a doppelganger, but there was an episode pitch for the episode on Jack's prom where there would have been like a haunted school set up with dead students who wanted to return and get their diplomas. Hmm. Mm. Sounds like a possible connection. Yeah, and again, Tom J. Astle came back for this episode as a writer, so maybe he was like using those as reference notes or something. It's possible, because there are elements of original Season 3 ideas that did make it into the Season 3 we have. We do have a Mummy episode. We do have the Circus of the Dead through Carnival. We do have Voodoo. Yeah, so interesting notes on some of the actors appearing in this episode. Uh Tom Shorthouse is the guy who plays Bud, the grumpy old janitor, who I think gives an okay performance. Like he has the, his little speech at the end where he talks about being bullied as a kid, and that's oh, fine. No. Uh, you know that that is one of the 
better moments. And notably, he did appear in Airbud 3 with fellow So Weird alum Kevin Zeger. So, you know, there is that connection. And, and also, I think it's sort of weird. The person who plays Eddie's ghost, Christian Mezier, not sure how you pronounce that, but he's a he's since gone on to become a writer and director in his own right and looks like he's made about five or six feature films according to his IMDb here. So that's sort of cool. Yeah, definitely. And I noted that the two girls, you know, the girl who gets glued to her locker, Julie, and the girl she was talking to, her name is actually Princess. But uh, that is kind of a cameo for the actress Debbie Wong. She's actually a very famous mezzo-soprano and she sings in like operas and um, I went to her website debbiewong.com and she's like world famous for her beautiful voice. Mm-mm. Wow, she doesn't she's not even listed on the IMDb page. That's a good find. I noted that I was going to edit that and fix it. <laughs> um so you know it's always interesting to see some names of sorts pop up in there. Yeah. There are a couple of wardrobe things that I've noticed too. For one, when Annie's wearing her red shirt in the middle of the episode, she's wearing a black choker that looks identical to the one that Fee often wore in season two. And I know that they were very popular at the time, so it's not outside of the realm of possibilities that Annie had one that looked just like Fee's, but it bothers me because it could also mean that Annie's just straight up stealing Fee's jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) Like in the move, in the move from, you know, the cabin to the to their new house, maybe she like found some of these jewelry and she's like, oop, mine. Yeah, but like the ring isn't enough for you. <laughs> she's just taking over his life. Well, you know, at this point it starts to sound like a sewer episode itself. You know, Annie is a, a pod person who's literally taking over Fiona's life and just ta- yeah. stealing all her clothes. Steals yes. her mom. <laughs> yeah, really. Steals right. her house. Steals her friends. <laughs> Steals a room on the bus. Yep, and but it was cool. We did get to see a pi- that picture you guys mentioned last episode of Fee and Annie from the Lightning Rod episode when they were both wearing their red outfits. Oh, I completely missed it. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's Most cool. Of this episode. And also the yellow top that Annie's wearing at the end of the episode is worn again by her and being there. And I really like that look on her. It complements her skin tone really nicely. So well done to the costume department. <laughs> Yeah. Give She's give so the shout outs to the costume department there. Uh man, I just don't have a lot to say about this one. You know, I don't like it. You know, it, it's such <laughs> Yeah, honestly, as I said, it's sort of sad that this is probably the best season three episode thus far. And I still mostly dislike this episode. For the most part, it really doesn't make me feel anything but embarrassment for watching this, you know, being an adult man and watching this cornball bullshit, you know, just kind of <laughs> Yeah. I thought it was uh, kind of funny when Clue was talking with Mrs. Mansfield. She says that there were over a thousand Eddies or Edwards in the school over the last 50 years. And I was thinking, wow, you guys like really updated your computers from the last 50 years. <laughs> you know, like, because that was back in the heyday when computers were still like black screens with green writing. And um, well, maybe a little later well, than that. Quite the years like Windows 98. <laughs> Yeah, but would they have had, like, I don't even think my high school in California, like, had all the students from the last 50 years in the database. Yeah, there's no way. (laughs) Right. But remember, this exists in the universe where they have magic Wi-Fi that follows them everywhere they go. 
<laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, very true. Well, well, you know, as I've said before, the writers of the show clearly thought computers could do anything. So let's yeah. just go with the fact that So Weird exists in a more advanced alternate universe than the 2000 we lived in. Yeah. I just feel like there was so much bad writing in this episode. <laughs> Another line that I want to point out is from the scene when Annie and Molly were having their little talk. And Annie was just like, well, what about some people who never get what they want? And she sounds so deep, but I feel like Annie has no way of being realistically so insightful about Eddie. Like, how did she know so much about him from the little bit about what Fee told her about doppelgangers? How was she able to piece all that information together and find out that he really wanted his diploma? And then, as Zach said earlier, organized him to be able to get it. I have no idea. I wondered that myself. Other than, like, Mrs. Manfield saying that he had dropped out and then, like, Clue telling her that probably. Yeah, like, how she did all that and got the whole entire school in on it is just completely unbelievable. Well, I mean, there's just a lot of, you know, you, you say, Kat, you say that you don't believe Annie in that moment. And I just don't know if I ever believe Annie. Like, there, <laughs> she just doesn't have the conviction that I found with Fiona in the earlier two seasons. But... Man, what you know? What can you do? <laughs> yeah, and Molly says, "Well, one thing I do know, Annie, is that you are a very kind soul." I thought that was kind of dismissive, like because she didn't know, like, was it Annie who was struggling with these feelings, or was Annie just sitting here, like, fretting over her empathy for this janitor? Like, and she was just very dismissive, not like, "Are you depressed? Like, are you thinking of cutting yourself?" Or you know, <laughs> instead she's just Annie like, "Well, janitor." Well, Annie, you're a very kind soul, so I'm going to go have some dinner. Like, you know, like, it was very dismissive on a parent's part, or maybe it was just the bad writing. Well, of course it was. Well, also, Annie, you know, Molly is not Annie's mother, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, and hey, nobody says, is you know, that it's weird that a 14, 15-year-old girl is spending this much time with the old janitor. Nobody, that doesn't raise any eyebrows. And I guess 2000 was a different time. <laughs> I also just want to note that I feel like this episode is probably at least partially responsible for my antics when I was a little bit older. Because when I was in, like, the middle school grades, I went to a K-8 through school, so I was in the same school for a long time. And my friends and I would love to make up stories about our janitor. Because <laughs> there was this room in our school, the audiovisual room, and it was always locked. And we're like, why is it locked? What goes on in there? So naturally, we made up our own explanation that involved the janitor taking students in there, hacking oh, no. them up, and then serving them as ketchup and chicken tenders in the cafeteria. And that was the reason why our school suffered from such low enrollments. Well, you know, Kat, I think that's actually a normal kid thing because when I was in elementary school, we used to make up salacious rumors about the janitors as well. So I think that's just normal kid behavior. Oh, good to know. Or, or I'm the normal one because I never did that. <laughs> I mean, I can recall I in know like anybody who's ever done that. Well, now you know two people who have. Because... <laughs> I yeah. mean, we in the third grade, I had a, well, my school had a janitor named Chester, literally knew nothing else about him, but simply based on his name, people started calling him Chester the Child Molester. Oh, um, that's, <laughs> oh my God. Which, you know, would get somebody fired today, but it was just harmless shenanigans back then in 1994 or whenever this was. 
now we know why Bud was so like upset about the kids because earlier in the beginning he's like telling Annie like you kids never give up you know you're always doing something to pull my leg or play jokes on me then he should quit his job <laughs> <laughs> he is in two days he's apparently yes he's two days away from retirement like a you know he's lucky he's not in an 80s cop movie or else there would have been a target on his back <laughs> Well, uh, do we have anything else we want to... I, I think I, I've gone through all my notes here. What do you guys say? Well, we also need to talk about the end scene on the bus, which I feel is one of the better scenes of this episode, when they're all packing up and then getting on the bus ready to go on tour. It's really precious to see the whole cast together and Ned all excited about driving his bus again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they did make mention that, of course, this is the year 2000 tour, so it was the first time we get to see that written on the new, well, the new writing on the bus. And they mentioned that they have 25 cities to get to in eight weeks. Yeah, and the side of the tour 2000 on the back of the bus reminds me that for season three, the Disney So Weird website took down Fiona's website and replaced it with a tour-based interface interface and i'm still bitter about it because i didn't start going on soweird.com until season three and i drove myself crazy looking for fee's website and i can never find it yeah well i'm glad you brought that up that brings back some memories for sure i definitely you know when zoo disney was a thing i was all about that i was on that website a lot and I remember the old So Weird website, not vividly, but I do recall it. And I do remember when they changed it for season three and just being very, very annoyed that the old interface was gone. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That brought back some memories. Yeah, I've definitely beat myself up for not saving things or not being more adamant about saving things at that time period because I feel like a lot of things are really lost from that period and it's kind of sad in our fandom. Well, just in general, there's a lot of stuff from the early, late 90s, early 2000s, the early period in the internet. It's sort of like how there are lost films from the late 1800s and 1900s. Because of the time, we just thought it was a novelty. We didn't think it would become this hallmark of our lives. So a lot of early internet history is sort of gone forever. One thing that I did while I was on a So Weird Tour Bus Interface website was that I took meticulous notes of everything <laughs> that I could find out because I was that dedicated and I think I still have the notepad around here somewhere. Girl, oh find it. I remember, yeah. one, like it was a lot of information about the cast. There was, I think it was um, Carrie who appeared in a Mandy Moore music video. I remember writing that down. That would have been a big deal at the time. What? Yeah, what music video? Because the only music video I know he was in was uh, the Pink music video um, when she's like, uh, oh, God, what was that song? Do you remember anyone? Uh, I That's know it. This is, this is the first indication. I didn't know that Carrie was in a Pink music video. Yeah, um, it's that uh, Don't Hate Me, Please Don't. Oh. Or don't. Don't let me get me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't let me get me. He's the the love interest in that, and she's like got him all tied up, and she's kind of torturing him the whole music video. Oh, I will definitely have to rewatch that. Uh, I'm glad that my years spent watching MTV in the early 2000s finally paid off. <laughs> <laughs> and he later went on to star in Tyler Perry's Medea's um, Christmas, which was amazing, and. He's in <laughs> in an interracial relationship. I just loved seeing him in that role. That was a great film. I really enjoyed it. 
Well, it's always nice when a so weird cast member pops up in a newer project, just to the reminder that they're still yeah. alive, they're still working. Yeah. And his sister is extremely famous, the wife of Ryan Reynolds. Oh, Blake Lively. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I had no idea Eric Lively and Blake Lively were brother and sister. Oh, I can't brother believe. and sister, yeah. Huh. Well, of course, they're all Canadian. Uh, how couldn't I figure that out? <laughs> right. so you just now made that connection that they were siblings? Yeah, yeah I literally did not know this at all. So. You're like, oh, Blake Lively. Oh, Lively. Yeah, it, it literally just occurred to me. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. I'm not up to date on my so weird cast members' personal lives. Uh, you blew shame. my mind. Uh, you so just blew my mind by your mind being blown. Anything else to say about Eddie's desk? I really hate the ending where the ghost runs out and jumps into Eddie's body. That's just such cornball bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, and we never get an explanation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not even that it's an explanation. It's just so corny. Like, was it totally, absolutely necessary for us to see that? Like, you know, I, I've always kind of felt like season three talked down to the viewers in a way that the first two seasons didn't. And that would be an example of that. Just this need to wrap up everything like, oh, well, we have to show the ghost or the doppelganger going back into Eddie to let the three-year-olds in the audience know what's going on. Like, I, I didn't feel like it was necessary to do that. It bugs me. That also reminds me of how semi-educational seasons one and two felt, where I felt like I was learning something in the episodes. And in season three, there's none of that. It's just pure entertainment. They don't even think through their own writing. You know, it's funny you say that, because I almost sort of feel like the opposite. Like, if season one and two had an educational element, it never felt forced in. It was never distracting. Why season three frequently feels like it has these sort of overarching morals i mean with this one there's an anti-bullying moral with a babble there's a message about dyslexia and believe me i have lots of things to say about that when it comes here when it yeah. comes around and um there are a couple other examples where it sort of felt like we were hammering in a cheesy moral you know for the kids like mr magnetism like with his being too cocky right yeah like shit boyfriends you know stay away from those that's the moral of that episode oh yeah <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I wish I had more positive things to say about this episode. And as I've said before, it's sort of sad that this is what passes for one of the better season three episodes, because I still really don't like this one that much. What would you rate it? Oh, we're we doing ratings now. Okay, well, I w- when I first rewatched this a couple years back, was going through the whole series, I gave this one a six, which I think was incredibly generous on my behalf, because now I would probably have this one sitting at a four or a five if I was in a good mood, but probably a four. I'd probably give it like, you know, maybe a five out of 10, just because I was so happy to see Clue come back and we did get to see some of his antics. I loved his philosophical dialogue. It was really funny to try to figure out what he wasn't saying or what he was trying to say. Um, he was really goofy this episode and it was it was great. And I did um, like the dynamic that he had with Annie's character. I also liked the cameo with B, but um, I felt like this episode had a little bit more substance just compared to the last couple episodes because those felt really flagrant to me. But um, yeah, that's why I would give it like a five out of 10. What about you, Melissa? 
I think I'd give it an 8 out of 10, just because I do like it better than the past uh, few episodes in Season 3, and uh, I really loved the Clue Return and all of his antics, as well as the other stuff Jimmy mentioned, and Dynamic with Annie, and also the V scene. It was nice. I don't really have that many complaints about this episode. I mean, an eight, that's pretty high. I, yeah. have, I did seven for my last three, so, or two or three, and I like it better than the other, so I figured it was fitting to give it higher. I would give this one a four. It's a visually striking episode, and it's one that I remember liking as a child and finding the plot riveting as a little kid. And I do think it helped inspire my own later antics in school. And Philosopher Clue is definitely the best part of this episode. Mm-hmm. However, it's very poorly written from an adult point of view. I cannot wrap my head around how the doppelganging started, why Annie would be so casual about her ghost busting, and go from wanting to fit into saying she'd never happy be happy as part of the crowd. She was too much of a Mary Sue here, and I just couldn't enjoy this episode from an adult perspective. Yeah, I agree. Annie's character arc in this episode just makes no sense at all. Is she ever, though? Uh, well, <laughs> okay, so do we have any feedback this week? or? All right, we have two comments from the last episode, Detention. First, we have from Kathy, who says, Hey guys, that's Kathy. I was watching the episode and thought one scene was funny that you guys didn't mention. It's right before the end credits play, once the gang is done playing their song, and Annie goes, Yes! while kicking her foot out low. Anyway, great job on the app. Thanks, Kathy. <laughs> and I think Jimmy did mention that part, right? I don't think we talked about it. No, I remember Kathy mentioning that we hadn't brought it up. Right, and then Allison on YouTube wrote, this was a meh episode for me. I didn't hate it, but didn't really like it. The detention part was a little creepy, but that's if you don't compare the episode to the first two seasons. It feels almost lighthearted, I don't know, it just didn't really do it for me. I really like that Alsa makes a distinction between it might be creepy, but only if you don't think about seasons one and two, which were really creepy. (laughs) (laughs) And to be be fair, season three is a meh season, I would say. But, you know, that's me. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. So thank you guys for your feedback. Thank you. All right. Well, is that it? Anything else we want to discuss while we're here? Do we have any news on Disney reboots? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, been kind of a slow week for that, though. You know, I am looking forward to the uh, Netflix Grimdark Sabrina the Teenage Witch reboot with Karen Chipka that I think is premiering later in the year. I and that I something that may possibly be up the alley of the so weird fandom since it's you know teen girls and spooky stuff. I don't know. And also Melissa Joan Hart because she did uh, direct an episode in the third season. Ah, well, there you go. Um, though I don't know if Melissa Joan Hart's going to have anything to do with the new version. But, uh, oh, really? Oh, that kills it for me. Well, like, it's completely different tonally. Like, this is based off of... Like, a couple of years ago, the Archie Comic Company did started publishing horror comics, and they did sort of a horror version of Sabrina called... I believe it's the Haunting Tales of Sabrina or something like that. And this new series is based off of that. So this will not be... A goofy sitcom there will be no talking cats like the 90s show yeah well hopefully she gets like a cameo like a random character or um, an ant or you know something like that it would be nice to have her on for sure i do agree yeah. 
All right. So earlier in this podcast, I tweeted John Cooksey to ask, was Clue's names always short for Cluid, or is that full name something the season three writers made up? And John Cooksey has replied and says that I think Cluid was Clue's slightly smaller clone. Huh. That was quick. Yeah, so I guess that wasn't something that they came up with. Okay, well, I'm glad we solved that mystery. (laughs) And we also got confirmation that Cluid has a clone. Or Cluid is a clone. (laughs) (laughs) That is a tongue twister. And also, apparently, I got throughout this whole episode without mentioning uh, Drew Barrymore once starred in a movie called Doppelgangers, cheesy horror movie from the early 90s. Uh, That was a real ball drop on my behalf. Sorry, guys. So... (laughs) So for the people playing along at home, there's uh, Zach mentions an old horror movie. You can tap off that bingo spot now. Love it. (laughs) Well, if there's no further business, I conclude this meeting of the So Weird Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Kat. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Melissa. Keep the faith and never give up on So Weird. That's right.